It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. Hello, and a warm welcome to our many listeners around the world to the BBC Country Fire magazine podcast, or the podcast as we like to call it. It's your chance to come with us on adventures into the great British outdoors and escape boring things like commutes, work, bad weather and TV. In this episode, we head to a farm in North Somerset that is hoping to drive a revolution in farming by putting sustainability and community at its very heart. Alongside a small core staff, Local volunteers work in the fields every week, planting and harvesting, to support a veg and fruit box scheme, so you can order organic and locally sourced food direct to your door. Margaret Bartlett visited the farm this winter and met with Managing Director Ped Asgarian, Marketing Manager Ian Weatherseed and Volunteer Coordinator Tor Parrott to find out how a community farm really works. But here we are on a community farm and the sun's come out. It's not raining. Could you introduce yourself, please? I'm, uh, I'm Ped. I'm the uh, managing director here at the farm. Been here for uh, ooh, six years now. Yeah. Six years. Actually, it's more than half the life of the farm. So we, we started here in, in 2010 now, yeah. So, um, so I've got a lot of the history all, all stored in my brain now and then a lot of the experience <laughs> of what we've been through as well. The concept of this place actually started back in around about 2008, 2009. And the idea was that we could create uh, a farm that would be community-owned, we're a community benefit society, which essentially is it's a social enterprise that you've got a business side to it. Mm-hmm. Any, any profit, any money made from the business side goes directly back into the social activities that we do. Right. We, are, we are not for profit, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't make a profit. It doesn't mean we do make a profit, <laughs> but one day we would like to. And, and we do, you know, as an organisation, we do rely quite heavily on, on grant funding at the moment mm-hmm. to continue going and, and add any kind of infrastructure that we build here as well. And a lot of the projects, mm-hmm. certainly at the beginning, were, were grant funded mm-hmm. to, to get us off the ground. Mm-hmm. What kind of places give grants to farms or where do you get the funding all sorts right. okay. <laughs> um, there's, there's, there's various places that many people will be familiar with certainly for lottery do a lot of funding lottery projects do, do quite a lot of interesting funding for community projects mm. there's uh, Esme Fairburn who we work with quite closely we work for several years to actually help with the, the volunteering side of things so they do a lot of stuff around food and food sustainability as well and yeah so, so we raised community shares at the beginning over 500 people from the local community invested in the farm okay. everybody gets a share no matter how much you put in you get one share, one vote. It's fifty pounds is the minimum. Up to right. up to say, even if someone put in twenty thousand pounds, yeah. you would just get one vote okay. and, and, and one share. And the idea that your your return on your investment here, like perhaps in a, in a business where you would get maybe two to seven percent return on your investment, um, depending on how good that business is. Here, the return on your investment is, is sort of like a, a warm, fuzzy feeling somewhere <laughs> around your heart, you know. Um, Which is worth much more than money. Certainly of is, yeah, it certainly is. So, so we we raised. Uh, around about £190,000 of share capital at the beginning, which is a little bit less than we wanted, actually. There was an existing um, veg box scheme running out of here yeah. and, and, and a bit of growing on the land already, and we, we that was enough to kind of to invest in buying what was here already. A little bit less than we wanted to be able to invest in the farm itself. 
you know, everything you can see here was not here when we started. It was it was just a tap on a field, and that was it. Really? So, so the was... tunnels, the roundhouse that you'll see, ah. the yurt, everything has all been built over the last 10 years. So was the livestock on here before that? Or... It wasn't, uh, well, no. it's got a very interesting history, the land here itself. Actually, when you go back to kind of, you know, 50, 60 years ago, a lot of it was used for a lot of uh, kind of chemical trials really? on, on food production land. Um, it's been a dairy farm in the past as well. Uh, before we came onto the land here, there was some growing being done here. Um, but ultimately, our landlord, Luke Hazel, um, when he inherited the land and, um, and better food in Bristol, who were growing on the land at the time, did the box scheme. Phil Horton, the, the manager director there, they decided that they wanted to do a community project here. Okay. And, and then they went to Bristol and they met the right people um, at an event which is all about community supported agriculture. And, and kind of the idea of the farm evolved out of that. See. So it, the real kind of basis was to, to challenge our current food system to grow food organically. And that has evolved as time has gone on. So we always had social aims, but our social aims have become much clearer as we get better identity as an organisation. So we've developed those significantly in the last four or five years. And the, the kind of growing side of it as well, whilst we always, it was always a organic agroecological farming has kind of grown up a lot more in the last 10 years um, a lot more people understand what it's about about nature friendly farming about farming which is kind of like organic plus because i think it's very easy when you look at the organic world it's kind of split in half a little bit you could you could draw a line you say there are those people that will farm organically or grow organically or sell organically because they see it as a market they yeah. see it as, as somewhere they can make extra value extra money and then there's those that farm organically and that grow organically that do it because it was a movement. It was a, a way to farm that was different to the, the conventional farming that would, that would promote strong biodiversity, um, good flora and fauna in our countrysides, uh, and also look after people as well. Mm. And, and there's a, I, I'd say there's, you know, there's a bit of a split there. You could, you could draw it. with many industries that start off one way or another. They, they, they usually get polar ends of it. We try to, to be up kind of a broad church if you like for those that we accept everyone is welcome on the farm no matter what your background what your ideology um it's a chance for people to come here and learn um the volunteering aspect of what we do is very important the volunteering certainly is about what volunteers get out of coming to the farm rather than what we get out of volunteers there's no doubt there's benefit to have volunteers the power of many there are days where we couldn't get things done if we didn't have our volunteer workforce but there's a very very strong therapeutic element to, to get your hand and when you've got perhaps um, green ideologies if you, in terms of like how you approach the planet I think it's very easy to be overwhelmed with all the negative stuff that's going on and, and this kind of thought of the, the world is ending um, and, and it's our fault <laughs> you know to put it bluntly but when you come here you realize that you're not alone in thinking that and, and it perhaps gives you a way of, of kind of handling some of those those stresses and anxiety that come with that. So, so it serves many different things for many different people. Yes. The farm here, um, as well as as well as being a very important source, I'd say economically for for local farmers and, and for the food we produce here by providing a route to market that, that wouldn't exist otherwise. So not everything um, that goes in your veg boxes is grown here on the farm. No, no, we we have only a fifteen acre farm. Um, to some people that might seem massive. To, to others that might seem but we only have 15 acres. We have about five of those is cropped. We have four polytunnels. 
and we only produce probably about 10 to 12 percent of the, the the volume of veg that we need from our field itself so right. so we have a strong network of, of local growers that we work with um, all, all again obviously organically organic certified um, and we also work directly now with um, farms in Spain directly so there's, there's a couple of co-ops in Spain one in particular is very similar ideologies to ours and, and how they want to get local food to, to local people at a fair price and we buy direct from them so so we get some you know we're big enough now with our box scheme to be able to to get a whole pallet of citrus in on, on a weekly basis so really great, great oranges and, and lemons oh, direct so um so there's a much shorter supply chain which means that the, the produce is is riper and tastier mm-hmm. And that's really, really important to us. Yes. And, and we know the provenance of where everything's coming from in, in Europe as well. Like conventional farming, if organic farming, any farming intensively done has a negative impact on, on our environment. So whether it's organic or not. And I think a, a, the drive for cheap produce drives people to obviously do intensive, to bigger. And then when people go to the supermarket, they pick up an organic produce from the supermarket and they just presume that, well, it's organic, it must be good. But, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's had a positive impact on the environment. Are these fruit trees here as well? Yeah, so these um, are apple trees. They were donated by one of our members, actually. It's right back at, oh, God, eight years ago, I want to say now. Yeah. And so we have this uh, kind of apple avenue. Varieties of apples here are kind of more heritage style, more like your russets, Adam's pear main. So things that perhaps you wouldn't always see in your supermarket, much tastier, in, in my honest, <laughs> humble opinion. And, and we get now about, I don't know, four to 500 kilos of apples a year off these uh, trees. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So it's really good. It was a bit of a mixed year for us this year, actually. We yeah. had to send quite a few to, for juicing, which is great because it meant we had lots of apple juice, which yep. was lovely. Yeah. But, you know, most of the time... We always have a very successful wassail every January, and, oh, and it seems to uh, help yeah. with uh, a good fruiting. So, you know, <laughs> if you're if you're superstitious like that, what does local local people come and do a wassail on the? Yeah, farm? so we have a little you know uh, a little singer song, you know, have a wassail king or queen, a little dance around the trees, uh, drinking some nice mulled cider, and, and uh, you know scaring off the spirits for for the new year. Oh, it's so. So what what. And what's your background? Did you have you always been involved in horticulture? Uh, background is uh, did environmental science at university. Uh-huh. Got disenchanted with the scientific world around sure. the time. This is probably so early two thousands, and and just no one was listening about climate change or, mm. or felt was listening anyway. And um, and also, I feel that a lot of science at the time. There's a lot of scientists trying to disprove. Um, global warming and climate change and it just felt that like with stuff with big tobacco that science had lost its soul a little bit yeah um sure. so yeah i kind of got disillusioned with it and yeah and just went traveling and then just did my own thing and started working in, in helping to you know inside small small to medium-sized businesses always in food mm-hmm. and then yeah one day several years ago i just thought oh, i need to be doing something better yes so yeah. Uh, with the blessing of my partner, I quit my job and, and waited until the right job came along, which was this one, thankfully. Fantastic. So what are, what are you growing here? Is this... So we just come to the, the end of the season. We've got our four, tunny, four, four polytunnels here. Okay. Throughout the year, we would have grown a whole variety of different things. In the winter months, we generally grow winter salad, which, as you can see, has just gone in here. Ah, lovely. So a yeah. um, whole range of peppery winter salads uh, that will go into our mixed salad bags. We do tomatoes maybe 100 kilos of cherry tomatoes a week out of the tunnels in summer, wow. a thousand cucumbers a week out of one of the tunnels. Um, wow. We do a whole range of chilies, uh, ranging from the really kind of 
sort of not so hot jalapenos and, and Hungarian hot wax all the way up to the super hot. We did some habaneros and scotch bonnets so it's a whole different range um, which gives people a bit of a fright in their boxes I think when they get them Uh, and we do peppers um, indoor beans so there's quite a lot of different stuff throughout the year the the tunnels are always in use all year round actually very important for growing in the UK Mm. protected cropping because not only are they great in winter for, for growing produce but also if you have a bad summer 2013 i think that summer was a terrible summer having tunnels is really really important mm, yes. but, but at the moment yeah. it's, it's all pretty quiet inside them right um, it's amazing amount you can get from just four tunnels yeah it's, uh, i suppose again one of the real important things of coming to a farm like this yeah. and and learning about how it works is that most people don't have an idea how things get from mm. you know the field to their to their house and and this gives an idea of the scale of of growing and, and we are a small scale grower so if you think that um, the kind of produce that, that, that might be being grown in, in places that, that are wall-to-wall tunnels, yeah. you know, this is just like a drop in the ocean, but until you get that, until you can actually see it and almost contextualise it a little bit yourself, then it gives you an idea as to what, what farmers are doing in terms of what they're producing. So is that why you open, uh, you open the farm? You have um, community days and you invite school groups yeah, and things like that? I think it's incredibly important that yeah. um, we give as many people access as possible. Mm. Um, you know, there's the regular volunteering, which isn't well, it doesn't work for everyone so we do the community farmer days on the weekends in summer and spring and into autumn and they give a different group of people a chance to come to the farm and often that will go from you know you get children all the way up to to, to, to elderly people coming onto that and that's a very nice shared experience on those days what, what happens on a community farmer day is it... pretty much the same thing that happens on a regular weekly yeah. volunteer day is it we have a, we have a lovely shared lunch always so there'll be like nice soup bread and people will bring cakes along which is always really nice there'll be an opportunity to have a little walk and find out about the farm it's perhaps a little bit people that come on the weekday volunteering because they come regularly there's a little bit more expertise and knowledge that they have so it's a little bit less intense in some ways often it's jobs that need just a lot of people so we can get up to sort of 30 40 people coming along our squash harvest can get about 40 people coming along and we've got seven tons of squash to get out of the uh, uh, um, out of the field and yeah. that can get done in like a matter of hours always very surprising how quick that happens amazing, yeah. um, or, or planting 20,000 leeks in a day you know that's the community farmer days are perfect for that and and when you say to when you sit down there and, and Ian our community farmer will be like oh uh, yeah so we're going to do 20,000 leeks today you can just see the look on people's faces and they're like no way and then they shouldn't probably be surprised that they've all managed to do it yeah. by lunchtime without even realising you know they're kind of just talking away and that's the whole point you're talking you're meeting new people yeah. you know someone once said to me um, at the end of a community farmer day they're like oh you know we come as strangers but we leave as friends and <laughs> and it sounds a bit like kind of you know sickly but it's true yes. because you do you create these experiences you meet new people and, and it really is amazing days yeah. the school visits we've had a real issue over the last 20 years on our you know diet is a very important thing for us mm. home cookery is incredibly important there. i think home ec came off the national curriculum for some time certainly in the, in, in between 2000 and 2010 um it's only just started reappearing recently and that that notion of like people knowing what they should eat and how to cook it and not being scared by it is really important. You get a child here, and when we get you know kids around primary school age coming here, and they might not eat broccoli or courgette at home, but when they come here and they pick it, yeah. and they, they take it and they cook it, or they put it in a fresh salad and they eat it here, yeah. and they go home and they're like, you know, mummy, daddy, I, w- I want to eat courgette, and their parents' jaws probably drop <laughs> on the floor. But that, that's like a life-changing moment, because it, I was probably only 15 when I started embracing courgettes, you know, and, and, and when kids are doing it at that age, it just means you're going to have a healthier diet from the start there are probably friends that I've got who when I say about fruit and veg you look at their face and they're like no I don't eat fruit and veg and you're like 
Sorry, what? <laughs> what do you eat? But, but there was a whole culture, yeah. the yeah. ready meals, the fast food. So, so getting children here is really, really important to get them to understand where food comes from and, and the, the whole range of food that's available and how to deal with it as well. Mm. You know, that's very, very, very important. Mm. And then there's the other side of, of the people that we get here, and that's how we work with vulnerable people. So we run our own Grow and Make course here, which is an opportunity for people to self-prescribe, to come along, spend a, a day at the farm. It's very relaxed. You get to do a bit of um, social therapeutic horticulture, is what we call it. So there's a bit of there's a bit of making. You might make some raised beds, or, or you're just growing some plants, and you're watching them grow throughout the season. Do you come along? So that's that's something we've been doing this year for the first time, our own little course, which is great. Yeah. Um, we, we do work with other projects that come and use the space here, so our school programs are delivered by Earthwise which is a lovely lady called Claire who actually started it doing working at the farm and then made it into her own thing which is great we have uh, Eco Wild which run courses on, on mindfulness and well-being here as well so so there's many different ways to interact we do we do cookery courses here sushi courses um, fermentation courses in the past there's all sorts of we, we do children's bird, bird feeder makers courses we try to give a real range of ways to get people on the land because not everybody wants to come and work you know on vegetables digging and getting <laughs> yeah. that so yeah. so having a real breadth of what we offer is just an important way to engage people on a, on a variety of different ways walk up and have a look at the roundhouse yes which is one of our wonderful locations yeah. yeah so this this is your your new gorgeous roundhouse Ian can you tell me how you make raise the money for your roundhouse Oh, I may not be the best person to ask this, given how new I am to the farm. But I believe that uh, part of this came from a lottery grant. Is that right, Ped? Yeah, so it was actually um, a, a trust in Bristol called Nisbets, yep. who provided the initial funding for this roundhouse. Okay. Um, and that came out of the need. We had the yurt before, and just because the amount of people coming on the land, and also sometimes the need for separation of groups, if sure. you've got children yeah. and vulnerable people. So we got that money to be able to, to, to build this so that we could deliver more social products. And then since then, yes, we had some uh, lottery funding to help kit it out a bit more as well. I mean, it's a, it's a gorgeous little spot, as you've seen when we wander inside. I love the two on the roof. And, uh, mm. It's fantastic. So it's actually a lot of the infrastructure that's going in now yeah. is part of um, uh, the People's Project, which ah. we were a part of, which we, we won £40,000 early this year. Oh, right. And that was to allow us to develop this into a proper learning area. Okay. So what you're seeing now is, you know, probably doesn't look too attractive because there's a lot of work going on yeah um but we, we've got this, this wonderful decking here and the path which yeah. never used to be here which allows for for wheelchair access we're going to have a dipping pond there oh, for, for children which is in the process of being made then the whole garden there's going to be wheelchair accessible raised beds um, we're going to have another learning polytunnel over there we've got the compost okay. toilets have already gone in oh, um, and there's going to be a nice section of, of trees just to, and, and a hedgerow just to delineate it from the rest of the farm yeah. just to help create that very safe space and safe feeling around here as well oh, lovely Beautiful. so yeah it's quite exciting it'll be finished in, in a matter of months as well oh, so hopefully brilliant. by spring so by spring yeah, yeah. the growing season yeah. yeah fantastic and there's a rainbow yeah look at that Beautiful. There's always a rainbow around here, I think, to be honest. Oh, look, and the lake. Yeah, and the beautiful view ah, of the lake. Look at this amazing which view. always looks resplendent any day. Oh, wow. So it's Chew... Chew Valley Lake. Chew Valley Lake, Chew Valley lake. Yeah. yeah. So it um, used, uh, used to be a town under there. Used to be a town. Used to be a town. So back in the uh, well, it was post-war, so maybe 50s, 60s, they flooded it for the uh, to create the reservoir for 
for Bristol. Uh, so if you do if you do go out there on a boat on a clear day, you can actually see the uh, old buildings down there in the water. And, and even when the water goes a bit low, there's a little church spire yeah. that just pokes out the top. Gosh, that's a bit spooky. It was led by a natural carpenter yeah. with volunteer work to, to build it all. Uh, took a matter of months. Right. It's all made out. So the outside's all upcycled uh, scaffold planks. Okay. Um, we've got the. Uh, I mean, the drawer itself. He, he found that bit of driftwood to handle on the beach, and so oh. that's the handle for the. That is the for the, handle, for the lovely stained glass that our, our neighbour actually Nick made as that's a little present for us. Um, yeah. And then it's all naturally oh, look at that. Uh, locally sourced timbers. Yeah. That, um, that, that prop it all up. Oh, it's absolutely stunning. Gosh, yeah. what a great space. On so, a nice wood-burning stove and a proper kitchen. So, so the idea is that, you know, we will one day, we'll use it on a lot for the courses that we do, but we'll be able mm. to, it'd be nice to be able to produce sort of secondary products out of here as well. Sure. Um, once we get just a bit of the cladding finished on here on the inside, mm. um, then we may be able to produce our own chutneys and jams and that sort of thing, which we can sell through, through the box scheme as well, which would be great. Because it's just oh, such yeah. a great way of dealing with, obviously, any waste product that you get from the veg industry. So, yeah, you're all set up for kind of, you can do kind of cooking courses and stuff in here yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, both in here and in our yeah, we can do we can do cookery courses or, or you know rent the space out to people who want to do the similar sort of thing in the local area. Yeah. Um, the aim overall is to make this a very vibrant community space for people to be yeah. able to use. Uh, is it, and, and that is a, a bit of a challenge for us in many ways because we are in the True Valley. It is a bit of a mm. um, a trek to get here, and the public transport isn't great. No. <laughs> Um, which is a real shame. Um, I think it's like one bus from Bristol and Bath a day that come out here. Yeah. So um, that that is a real shame, which means that we we do try to encourage people to lift share and obviously to to reduce the carbon imprint when they come here, Mm. Um, but does make things a little bit less accessible, which a lot of rural areas suffer from. Yes. And that's, you know, that is one of the really big issues with perhaps the way that our, our farming industry has evolved over the decades is that because it's gone from being small-scale holdings that, that people, are, you know, many families and, and community are involved in to being large-scale industrial intensive farms. Yeah. That means that you have less jobs, um, you have more mechanisation, and as a consequence, rural areas have become decimated and, and people are moving away from that. And also, you know, children of fifth, sixth, seventh generation farmers are not wanting to get into farming anymore. Mm. Which is yeah. which is a crying shame, and that, and then it just starts leading to huge amounts of rural isolation. So, do you do you think um, this kind of model of uh, that you that you have here is the future of of farming? Do you think it can kind of turn that turn the course of that downward spiral around? I I think ultimately food and farming has sat at the heart of progression in society for centuries. Mm. You know, ever since we um, started cultivating the land. That, that kind of really kicked off progression in many ways in, in the way that we have, uh, you know, even things like the invention of the plow and the impact that that has on, on, on lives and, and the way that it changed the cultures and society. Um, and we've moved a long, long way from that. And, and it's, a real, it's a real shame. And I don't see any reason why we can't think about, you know, kind of reverting back to small scale holdings that, that feed into cities and, and towns um, and villages that, that embrace and connect people with each other. Because, you know, there are many other reasons, obviously, as well. And I don't want to be too reductive, but there's no, there's no doubt that the kind of the glue of our society is, is it feels at times that it's falling apart. Mm. Um, gaps between the generations, you know, isolation, social isolation that happens 
and and we've seen a, a real change in the way that, that our our farming is structured yeah. um, in a way that doesn't hold communities together like it used to. So yeah, I think these kind of farms are the way forward. I think small scale, a mixture of small scale agroecological farms and and community um, community led projects are really really important. Yeah to to provide the food that we need and, and there's no doubt that it can provide the food that we need i think there's a whole thing around kind of that myth of we don't produce enough food in the world well actually the problem is waste not food production it's waste and distribution of food as mm. opposed to to actually being able to produce food and yeah. if you if you think that you know there are some figures out there which say somewhere in the region of 40 to 50 percent of everything we produce is wasted mm. if we can if we can reduce that to 10 to 15 percent then you'll find that small scale you know farming can certainly prop up the the food supply and demands that that we need in in our modern society. Mm. And not just the um, like the food that we eat as well. I mean, this is a different kind of food as well. This idea of this, this social food, this social communion. I think that mm. it's, it's very important for people to have that connection to land and to each other and to place. And food has always been the ferment of that. Mm. I think that small scale agroecological farming is is absolutely a part of the solution moving forward and i think we're going to see more and more of these sort of ventures appearing because it seems like the proof is is in the proverbial pudding um both in terms of the quality of the produce that comes out of a, a place like this but also the quality of the social relations that appear as well i think mm-hmm. that it's um it's a type of. It feels like almost like this little best kept secret, and you wonder, say, what? How long is it going to take until like, we start seeing like yeah. you know a huge throng of these appearing across the nation? Yeah, I do think as well. What's really important is that we see we have had to fight tooth and nail to be here today. It has not been easy for us to get here. We, you know, we still run losses, operational losses, because of the type of project we are. And, and for other people to, to have a model that you can say you can replicate, it's difficult to say, yes, you can do this and it's mm-hmm. going to work financially. We do need policy change that will help facilitate change in the way that we are looking after the land and, and, and farming. And I think that's something that, you know, it's great that the people who work here that do similar projects have this very strong will to get these things done and to yeah. make them work. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, and Bristol is is a really wonderful place to do it on the doorstep of it because Bristol is an incredibly green place and there's so many good projects going on. But if you want to replicate this around around the rest of the country, mm. you need policy change at the top that that you know money that enables local councils to be able to start changing. You know, we we were we were talking in the office this morning about there's there's loads of studies out there that say this is the right way to do things yeah. and this is and this is will have a positive impact on 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 the planet but there's not enough out there saying this is how you facilitate the change this is how you move from the system we've got to the system we need to have mm-hmm. and in order to do that unfortunately it doesn't need just a a change in in policy on farming that, that you know the recent thing they're talking about like you know good money for good practices sort of thing where yes okay so we're going to punish farmers for having a negative impact on the environment um, and we're going to reward those having a positive impact on the environment it needs financial incentive for people to convert mm-hmm. to positive practices in the first yeah. place mm-hmm. and that's something that we're missing um on that note though i mean do you think that so many farmers who are doing intensive farming at the moment will will see that this kind of model wouldn't couldn't possibly work for them financially it's an it's an interesting thing because we because we don't farm as a normal farm does in many respects you could run this more efficiently sure and and the volunteering itself costs to run so if you take that aspect out and you just go back to being an agroecological farm on on well certainly on like kind of maybe five to fifteen acres 
I think it's financially doable. Mm-hmm. Certainly bigger than that, you have to start questioning as to, you know, if you're going to have 50, 60, 70 acres, whether that's the right thing anyway. But uh, yeah, I, I think there's, there is a lot of the agroecological farming is scary for a lot of people who have farmed in a certain way all their lives. And that's the way their mm-hmm. fathers did it. Their fathers, and, yeah, and, and then sure. fathers and mothers before them. And I think that is, um, that is something that, that we need to work out how we change the psychology around that a little bit mm, um, yeah. to, to allow people to, to not find it as a really scary thing that they want to get a barge pole out and, you know, push as far away as possible, I think. So I think XR and what XR have changed in terms of how we are talking about the environment is amazing. It feels that people are a bit more empowered now to, to be able to just say that's not good enough. You know, we've got to go further. And I think projects like this will really benefit from that. At the same time, it's really important that we sow the seeds of hope and the messages of hope that not all is lost. Yes. Um, it's important to remember that that real rewilding can work, regenerative agriculture can work. Mm. The wildlife trusts themselves are starting to come around more to the notion of, of, of regenerative agriculture really being at the core of, of, of improving our countryside and our biodiversity again not just our countrysides, but also in the kind of peri-urban situations as well. So, you know, looking at where in the cities you can do regenerative agriculture, we're trying to, through through Avon Wildlife Trust, actually, and, and, and Bristol Food Producers in, in Bristol, we're trying to currently work with the council to find some plots that allow us to to start working farm starts and regenerative agriculture inside the city itself. Because there's lots of, of new entrants into, the, into farming mm. that don't have the background um, of, of being farmers that that want to um, farm on like kind of one to five acres, yeah. and they also want to do it on you know very much peri-urban because that's no one's living in the in, in the countryside anymore, mm-hmm. um, and that's a big challenge for us. I think. But it could completely re- revolutionise the way we think about farming, couldn't it? If we had lots of small scale, very much operators. so. Yeah. Very much. I mean, there's there's nothing. I, the day I don't work here anymore. I will suddenly realise how much I've taken for granted coming to a farm every day for for so many years and being outdoors and being immersed in nature. Uh, the, the thought of working within four walls uh, in the middle of a city scares the hell out of me. <laughs> and and you forget that everybody's used to that and that's what they do. Mm. And and giving people the opportunity to connect one way or another with, with projects that are close to them um, will have such a big impact on, on communities inside cities as well as those in rural areas. Mm. And I think it will bring people together and it will change the way... Yeah, I live now where I grew up as a kid and the atmosphere is completely different in, right. in the middle of Bath as to what it was when I was a kid because we used to do loads of stuff as a community and yeah. now we do nothing. And I think I think really community agriculture, community-supported agriculture mm-hmm. can really change the way that we approach that. Oh, it would be Do you want great, me to get off my soapbox? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I, like, I like the soapbox, it's good. Where do the volunteers come from generally? Are they all from the local community or are they... They travel a little bit to get here. There's a real mixture, actually. Um, It's a really lovely balance. We've got quite a lot of people that live very locally to the farm and sort of surrounding villages. Um, And then also people that will travel from Bristol, so the nearest city. Um, And we have uh, things set up so they can lift share on their way in. Um, It's quite difficult to get public transport out to the farm, so... Yeah, often they'll lift share in from Bristol. Um, we have a couple of people that come from Bath by bike as well. That's um, so, cool. so yeah, quite a mixture of, of areas yeah. that are covered. Sure, sure. <laughs> in a way, well, um, 
what is the what is the function of having volunteers here? What I mean, why do you do that rather than any other way of of pulling the links? <laughs> I guess there's a real mixture. Um, it's you know really really wonderful um, for us to be working together as a as a community and to have lots of hands on on the field to be able to um, work together to to grow and. Um, harvest all the veg um, and I think there's a really lovely opportunity for people as well to have an experience of being on the land um, and what it is to be you know, working in an organic nature friendly way um, so I think there are lots of reasons that people that it's great for us and also for volunteers as well to come and be feel a part of a community um, and have that sort of experience and time to be outside I think often with our very busy often city based lives it's, it's not so often that we have time outside in nature so to be able to have that um, and do that with other people as well mm. is a really great thing um, mm. and for us it means that we can we can do so much more as well and provide um, more experiences for people yeah. we can sell more veg boxes which the money would then go back into more community engagement projects as well right yeah mm. and do you find people stay for a while or do they just come for a couple of months and then move on yeah we've got a lot yeah. of really long standing volunteers that have been here for, for years and yeah. years now I think um longer than than I have even and uh we also have some that will come for like a summer season um and and do a few months with us so yeah there is a real mix but we do have a real core group of people that have been coming for a long time and Mm. are really dedicated to the community and the farm too so do you always sit around and have lunch together after your morning of 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 working in the fields yeah Normally we're down by the barn. And whenever Um, possible, we sit outside, whatever the weather. So we we have been known to start our lunch and it started to snow. Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) And then we did go in. But, uh, yeah. That's very brave of you. Yeah, so it's really nice down at the barn now. But a long time ago, as Andrew remember, (laughs) we worked out out of a couple of sheds um, that are are down the bottom there. Yeah. Um, And... um, we still shared lunches, but um, sat had lunches. But this is but, comfort now. Yes, mm. it's very comfortable. Well, we're in a very beautiful year. Um, yes. With the light coming through in the centre. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's yeah. a delightful place to be now. Yeah. So have you been volunteering for a while? Uh, yes, um, probably about eight years now, mm-hmm. would you say? Mm. Nick was here before well, we me. Were. Yeah. But um, I came soon after. Mm. I mean, the thing got serious in 2011. Yeah, yeah so that, that that's when it, yeah. um, when there was uh, a share offer, so we could ah, buy into okay. it. But I was here before that because <laughs> I've um, yeah. privileged to to live in uh, uh, Magnus, so not very far away. Lovely. And about 2008, I think, because it was when um, Luke Hazel inherited the farm, yeah. um, mm. all this part of the farm, and he was quite determined to make it a community farm. Get on our land was his um, slogan. His slogan, that's yeah, right. And um, okay. it uh, took a few years. It was just sort of before that. There was just um, a bit like a rather large allotment. There's only sort of two or three of us, sort of locals, sort of struggling on it. Mm. Um, and then it really took off from there. And you kept yes. with it all this time. But it's a lovely um, area around here. Mm. Beautiful. Mm. Got the views of the lake mm. yeah. and the birds and the trees. It's a wonderful area mm. to work in. Yes. And we, um, yeah, we enjoy it. I come every Tuesday, which is 
Tuesday volunteers here every yes, week. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And we, um, my name's Ange. And um, we, yeah, we all meet regularly, so yeah. we're all good friends oh, and enjoy our comp- our, each other's company. Yeah. And um, and enjoy the work. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Enjoy working on the farm. Yeah. We agree with all the ethos mm. of the farm, mm. and uh, that's why we're here. So, what do you enjoy about it? I mean, what 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 gives you the most pleasure from all your volunteering? Is it the digging? <laughs> yeah, or is it I the really, I really like well. Yeah. Both yeah. working yeah. alongside others, but actually being active, yeah. Yeah. being outside, mm. being away from the computer, yeah. whatever the weather. Lovely. Yeah. And the pleasure also seemed like a really worthwhile thing to do. Mm. You know, the way that um, the world's going, shall I say, generally. Um, you know, the idea of uh, a community based um, social enterprise, mm. which is obviously feeding profit back into the land, growing organic. Um, a very big consideration for wildlife, which is all part of the, the whole business, and um, yeah, the idea of the sort of the, the circular economy type thing, whereas um, mm. you're growing the food here, local distribution, so hardly any food miles, no plastic. Yeah, I mean, we just have really interesting conversations. <laughs> we do. How do you find? Do you find it's more? It's, you get more out of doing this than you could digging from digging in your own garden, for example. Yes. Like, it, mm, no. Well, no. I, I don't grow vegetables where I yeah. live now. Right. So this is a substitute for me. Right. I grow flowers and carrots. Do you? And, yeah. Uh, so I get my veg- vegetable fix. So. <laughs> <laughs> and what were you doing this morning? Was it leeks? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. It's very muddy. <laughs> On top of the hill. <laughs> but beautiful views. We <laughs> dig the leeks and then yeah. we trim them. Mm. And then we, well, we wash them because they're so muddy oh, now. Yeah. It's so wet yeah. everywhere. The ground's saturated. Mm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then we, um, we pass them on to the people in the packing shed and they <coughs> pack them into the veg boxes. So straight the away customers. they get picked. They're very fresh. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes, I'll probably have a leek that I've dug and trimmed in my box tomorrow. It's amazing. <laughs> arriving it? on my doorstep. Isn't that cool? Mm. That is mm. good. And I probably helped to plant it as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it goes full cycle. And how important to you is the is the whole sort of community concept of the farm? Well, well we're all working it, it, together. It, it, it underpins the whole thing, doesn't it, really, in a way? Mm. Mm. I mean, it, it makes us different as well. Yeah. Um, because it is community-based and we're concerned mm. about um, yeah, helping people who are less fortunate, I guess, in, in many ways. I mean, there's several volunteers who have been here who have been <laughs> on the edge pretty much. It's just it's very therapeutic. It is therapy. Yeah. It, the farm accommodates everyone in yeah. all walks yeah. of life. Yeah. Yeah. So we are a real mixture of people. Mm-hmm. And so talking about um, our lives, it's, it helps in lots of situations. Mm. People find themselves in difficulties and we talk about things. And um, I'm sure, you know, well, we all know we help yeah, each other. Mm-hmm. It's a really satisfying, <laughs> lovely place to work. It's quite, it feels quite a safe place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're here week mm-hmm. by week, mm-hmm. as old is. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. other people come yeah. for a while, maybe mm-hmm. their, their lives are just in a moment of transition. Yeah. They're yeah. thinking about changing yeah. jobs or they're recovering mm-hmm. from whatever in their life. And they work a bit and they chat a bit and then... Mm-hmm move on in their lives. Mm. That's right. We're the hardcore. (laughs) (laughs) 
There was something so tremendously hopeful and heartening in that report by Margaret. Thank you so much to the Community Farm for hosting the podcast and for giving us so much of their time and expertise. You can find out more about their endeavours at www.thecommunityfarm.co.uk. As ever, if you've enjoyed the podcast or not, please do send us some feedback. The email address for reaching me, Fergus Collins, editor of the magazine, is editor at countryfile.com. And we'd love it if you could leave some reviews on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or whatever podcast provider you use. So you've been listening to the BBC Countryfile magazine podcast, produced in Bristol by Jack Bateman and Ben Hewitt. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget to join us next time for another adventure in the great British countryside.